You're listening to the RBN Energy Blogcast. This is an audio version of RBN Energy's daily blog, the oil and gas industry's go-to source for insight. Every day, we cover commodity fundamentals, industry changes, and developing trends across energy markets. And now, we're making it easier than ever to enjoy our blogs. Whether it's on your drive into work, while you're at the office, or at home walking the dog, settle in, turn the volume up, and enjoy. Sunday, November 1st, 2020. Still crazy. The wacky world of condensates, what are they, and what's ahead for them? Published by Housley Carr. Condensates are quirky as heck, everyone's got his or her own definition of what they are, for one thing, and their very quirkiness has sent condensates on a wild ride during the shale era. For example, the U.S. government for years categorized Condé as a very light crude oil, and the long-standing ban on most crude exports meant you couldn't export the stuff to anywhere but Canada. Unless, that is, you ran Condé through a splitter to make NGLs, naphthas, and kerosene, those are petroleum products and they could, and still can, be exported, no questions asked. Then as condensate production started soaring, especially in the Eagleford, the Fed said that if you processed Condé in special equipment to make it less volatile you could export it, no splitting required. That made the folks who invested in splitters shout in unison, huh? The roller coaster for Condé didn't end there. The U.S. soon lifted the ban on all crude exports, and suddenly you didn't need to process condensate at all to export it. More upheaval ensued. Today we discuss this peculiar grouping of hydrocarbons. This blog is based on one of the nearly 40 presentations at RBN's Fall 2020 School of Energy Virtual earlier this month. All of the videotaped presentations and their slide decks are now available for purchase. Go to the Events tab on our website at rbnenergy.com for more information about School of Energy Encore. Condensates don't fit into any neat category. They can be an ultralight crude oil or an NGL. They can be dark, clear, or in between. And they can go by any number of names. But there are some commonalities to them as well, such as they are all mixtures of light hydrocarbons and they are all liquids at atmospheric pressure and temperature. Rather than try to shoehorn condensates into a tight, one-line definition, it might be best to describe them as a family of products alternatively known as least condensate or field condensate or raw condensate when produced at the wellhead or natural gasoline, pentanes plus or plant condensate when produced at natural gas processing plants, or drip gas when liquids settle in natural gas pipelines, or some refinery naphthas when they are traded in global markets. The complications don't end there. Natural gas processing plants produce natural gasoline, but natural gasoline is also called condensate by much of the world, including the Canadian market. That same product is also called pentanes plus, or C5 plus, because it has five or more carbon atoms per molecule, and condensates are sometimes called crude oil. In fact, most of the field condensate produced in the U.S. ends up being called crude oil in EIA, Energy Information Administration, Production Statistics and by many of the companies that produce condensates. But aside, financial markets like it better when a producer calls it oil versus calling it condensate, because oil usually gets a better price, even if the condensate itself does not get a better price. Generally speaking, condensates come out of the ground as part of a bubbling, commingled, multi-phase stream, either from a gas well or an oil well. After some of the gas is separated out, the remaining stream is fed into a field stabilizer or distillation stabilizer, or sometimes both. If it goes through a field stabilizer, the output is called a field condensate, which is either blended into a lower API crude oil and then moves on to a refinery, or it is sent to a condensate splitter. Some also is used by Canadian bitumen producers as a diluent to make their heavy, viscous crude flow and pipelines. As we said, sometimes condensate is processed through a distillation stabilizer, 
a piece of equipment that produces a higher quality condensate material sometimes called processed condensate. Processed condensate is then moved either to a splitter or is exported. More on splitters and condensate exports in a minute. As for the liquids packed gas that comes off of stabilizers, it is sent to a gas processing plant, where the liquids are separated out and ultimately fractionated to produce, among other things, natural gasoline or plant condensate. Natural gasoline plant condensate is either used as a motor gasoline blend stock to move on into petroleum products markets, as a diluent, primarily in Canada, where it is mixed with bitumen or very heavy crude oil to reduce its viscosity, or as a feedstock at steam crackers. Field condensate can also move into the diluent market. Back to condensate splitters and exports. A splitter is basically a very simple refinery that separates condensate into marketable products like NGLs, naphtha, and kerosene. As you may recall, until December 2015, there was a ban on most exports of U.S. crude oil to all countries besides Canada, but there was no ban on the export of petroleum products such as motor gasoline, diesel, and kerosene. As production of field condensate increased through the first half of the 2010s, especially in the Eagleford, splitters gave producers a way to make condensate more exportable. Before the shale revolution, there was only one condensate splitter in the U.S., a 75,000 barrels per day unit operated by a joint venture of Basfin Total that started up in 2000. When condensate production took off during the early days of the shale era, there was a flurry of splitter construction that eventually ramped up capacity to almost 350,000 barrels per day. Marathon Petroleum built a couple of splitters in Ohio and Kentucky to handle Marcellus Utica volumes. Kinder Morgan built two units in Galena Park, Texas, near Houston. Buckeye Partners built one in Corpus Christi, and Magellan Midstream Partners built another in Corpus. At that point in time, the output of splitters, NGLs, naphtha, kerosene, was exportable. But the condensate itself was not. That changed dramatically in June 2014, however, just as the splitter building boom was getting underway. That month, the U.S. Department of Commerce granted approval to export processed condensate. The new rule was a big deal, because the feds had long categorized processed condensate as crude oil, and at the time the U.S. had a long-standing ban on crude exports that had been in place since the mid-1970s. The new rule said that processed condensate, again, meaning field condensate that was run through a distillation stabilizer, counted as a petroleum product and could therefore be exported. Suddenly, field condensate that was being produced in large volumes in the Eagleford and processed at a stabilizer could reach export markets like Latin America, Europe, and Asia where they could frequently get a better price than from the U.S. refining sector, which already was being overwhelmed with supplies of light oil from the Eagleford and other shale plays. With the export market now open to it, field condensate prices took off and there was a frenzy to build stabilizer capacity. Processed condensate exports skyrocketed, increasing to 150,000 barrels per day for a couple of months in 2015. But the condensate export boom didn't last long. In December 2015, the U.S. lifted the ban on crude oil exports. In an instant, the special status that condensates had enjoyed for a year and a half was gone, as was the price premium on condensates. Exports of processed condensate fell sharply. Those are some of the highlights of the wild and woolly condensate market through the early years of the shale era. Next, we look at what's been happening more recently. We begin with a look at field condensate production over the past three-plus years. Production of superlight condensate, or API greater than 50 degrees, production has held relatively steady over the 2017-20 period at just above or below 1 million barrels per day, while production of light crude in the 40.1 to 50 range increased from about 3.5 million barrels per day in early 2017 to a peak of 6 million barrels per day pre-COVID, then dropped like a rock this spring and early summer before rebounding a little. 
medium crude production API of 30.1 to 40 degrees increased from 3 million barrels per day in 2017 as a whole to 4 million barrels per day last year before COVID-related declines this spring. Volumes of medium crude have since inched up to 3.5 million barrels per day. As for the heavies, API of 30 degrees or less, their production has stayed close to flat at 1.3 million barrels per day. You might be wondering, why would production of superlight crudes and condensates be so stable compared to light and medium grades? There are a couple of reasons. First, the price of these 50.1 degrees and up barrels is discounted due to quality considerations. Their product yields don't fit the needs of most Gulf Coast refiners, so producers have backed off drilling in areas that come along with a lot of condensate production like the Western Eagleford and the Delaware Basin side of the Permian. And second, we think some of the super light and condensate barrels end up blended off with light and medium grade crude, and therefore are misclassified in these statistics. In fact, we believe that a significant volume of crude oil with an API higher than 50 degrees, i.e., condensate, is blended into crude with a lower API. What is not blended off either moves to one of the splitters we mentioned before, or is exported, and bound for a variety of destinations. Let's zero in on 2020 exports out of Corpus Christi, for years the leading condensate export hub, and for a year or so now the Gulf Coast number one port for crude oil exports in general. Through August, Corpus exported an average of 1.4 million barrels per day of crude oil, of that total 80%, or about 1.2 million barrels per day, was classified as WTI or in the WTI gravity range, 37 to 42 degrees API. The rest was lighter crude, including about 8% or 115,000 barrels per day of West Texas Light, or WTL, with 44.1 to 50 degrees, 10% or 140,000 barrels per day of Eagleford Condensate, EFC, with API greater than 50, and 2% of higher API chemical grade EFC. In addition to providing a sense of how Eagleford condensate fits into the larger crude exports picture, this graph tells us that all exports out of Corpus dropped off after the April meltdown, but the condensate slice took the biggest hit, with only 23,000 barrels per day of EFC being exported in June. But Eagleford condensate came back with a vengeance, rebounding to 145,000 barrels per day in August, so it does not look like the meltdown did any lasting damage to U.S. superlight and condensate supply. The Eagleford condensate portion of the September 2020 exports out of Corpus Christi went 10% went to Canada, 40% to Europe, 40% to Asia, including 20% to China and 10% each to India and South Korea, and 10% to Australia. The discussion about condensate in School of Energy Encore's Module 3.5 dives deeper into recent trends in production and exports than we can go into here but we can't finish up without a look at RBN's mid-case forecast for crude oil production by API range over the next five years. The forecast, which assumes a flat $45 per barrel price for West Texas Intermediate, or WTI, sees declines in medium and light grades in 2020 and 2021, flattening out in their volumes in subsequent years. As for crude in the 50.1 to 55 degree range and 55.1 degrees or higher, the mid-case scenario sees their production slipping only slightly in the 2020-25 period. For superlight crude, for example, production is forecasted to decline from 524,000 barrels per day in 2020 to 493,000 barrels per day by 2025. For 55.1 and up condensate, production is seen dipping from 455,000 barrels per day this year to 437,000 barrels per day five years from now. Despite the relatively flat numbers, there are big changes afoot in the condensate market. With the build-out of new crude oil pipeline capacity from the Permian and the Eagleford to the Gulf Coast, there is an intensifying battle for barrels that will encourage even more blending of condensate into lower API crude oil, 
with the prospects of lower condensate exports out of Corpus Christi. Again, see our School of Energy Encore modules for more on that. Please note RBN CEO Rusty Brazil will be discussing these topics and more during our next Backstage Pass webcast next week on Tuesday, November 10th. To view the webcast, please just sign up for a Backstage Pass subscription by clicking on the Backstage Pass tab on our website at rbnenergy.com. Still Crazy After All These Years was written by Paul Simon and appears as the first song on Simon's fifth studio album of the same name. Released as the third and final single from the album in March 1976, it went to number five on the Billboard Easy Listening chart and number 40 on the Billboard Hot 100 singles chart. Ray Charles, Rosemary Clooney, Karen Carpenter, and Willie Nelson have covered the song. Personnel on the record were Paul Simon, on lead vocals Michael Brecker, on tenor sax, Barry Beckett, on Fender Rhodes electric piano, Roger Hawkins, on drums, David Hood, on bass, and Hubert Laws, on flute. The album Still Crazy After All These Years was produced by Paul Simon and Phil Ramona A. and are recording in New York City. Released in October 1975, it went to number one on the Billboard Top 200 Albums chart and has been certified gold by the Recording Industry Association of America. Three singles were released from the LP. Paul Simon is an American singer, songwriter, musician, and actor whose career has spanned over six decades. He first reached fame and commercial success as half of the pop duo Simon and Garfunkel, which he started with Art Garfunkel in 1956, when they were known as Tom and Jerry. After releasing five successful studio albums, Simon and Garfunkel split up in 1970, and Simon began a solo career. As a solo artist, he has released 14 studio albums, four live albums, 11 compilation albums, and 61 singles. He has won one Brit Award, and four Grammy Awards, as well as the Library of Congress Gershwin Award, Musicare's Person of the Year, and a Kennedy Center Honor. Simon is a member of the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame as one half of Simon and Garfunkel, and as a solo artist. He announced his retirement from touring in 2018 and he still records, though, and his latest album was in the blue light, which was released in September 2018. Now 79 years old, Simon resides in New York City with his family. This has been the RBN Energy Blogcast. Thanks for listening.